If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome back to The Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. I write a culture column in the New York Post, sometimes on themes that I also cover on this show, though I veer into politics much more often over there. On Friday, I wrote a column about two new books that you've definitely heard me talk about on here. One called Get Married by Brad Wilcox, who has been on the show in October, and one called The Two-Parent Privilege by Melissa Kearney, which I've talked about on the show in previous monologues. These books are interesting to me because they collect a ton of data to show that getting married, especially if you're having children, is just a giant positive for your life. Wilcox and Kearney both rely on actual numbers to tell their stories. Meanwhile, as I write in my piece, the New York Times has had something like 10 articles about polyamory just in the last year. I write, from a story about polyamorous couples holding Celtic ceremonies last February and to fix a broken marriage experiment with polyamory in March to interested in polyamory, check out these places in May. The New York Times has also published interviews with therapists who suggest polyamory. They answered ethical questions from men who want to pressure their wives to open their marriages. They reviewed a book by a deeply unhappy polyamorous woman and finally, they covered the solo poly person, whatever that is. Now, there is zero data to support that a polyamorous life will lead to happiness, yet the New York Times keeps pushing it, and those of us arguing for marriage are somehow the controversial ones. But I got an email from a friend about my piece, and I'm going to read it to you in its entirety here because I think it's really relevant and you need to hear these kinds of voices. She writes... I believe it is obvious on its face that a happily married couple is a better environment for children. I don't think we need to be talking about it as though it's policy and anyone not in, a, in an ideal situation ended up there by choice. 
like no little girl grows up dreaming of the day she'll be a single mom on federal assistance. No boy dreams of the moment he'll walk out on his family. He does it because he's a selfish, terrified prick, not because he didn't read Brad Wilcox's book. Obviously, people would prefer to be parents as part of a loving, supportive couple. I don't really get why conservatives feel the need to forcibly say this constantly. Instead, shouldn't we focus on empowering women in crisis pregnancies to embrace the beautiful baby growing inside them, explore the support she could have in her own community, even if she's not in a perfect situation? Second, I don't think it's healthy for kids, many of whom are in divorced homes, single parent homes, homes with awful parents, etc., to constantly hear from the right, you're screwed because you don't have two parents. We are the party of happy marriage and happy parents. I think it's so much more important to share with kids that the American dream is for everyone and everyone has the same opportunities as everyone else. It smacks of victim glorification. And frankly, I think it's pro-abortion to be so black and white about what an American family is supposed to be. I'm on a quest to be a solo mom, not because I hate men, not because I'm anti-marriage or that I put my career first, but because I'm 40 and this is really my option to have a baby. And what babies, kids really need is love. I'm so happy for women and men who found each other young and forged a perfect marriage and had kids at an appropriate age, but that doesn't happen for everyone. Not because we're liberal scum, but because that is life. I love that science has afforded me the opportunity to be a mommy, even without the perfect picture, end quote. I feel this very deeply. And when I talk about happy marriages, I do worry about offending people. I've talked about this on the show, but I think meeting the right person requires more than a little luck. And I wish people would be more open about that. I think the people who think that they skillfully, you know, got into a good marriage, I think there's a lot of luck involved. I also think my friend is going to be an amazing mother and I have absolutely no judgment about her decisions. But the reason I think we need to keep talking about the positive parts of marriage is because there's an onslaught of negativity around marriage. People continue to believe that half of marriages end in divorce, for example. But the truth is, divorce numbers peaked in 1980 and have been down steadily ever since then. Or, like my polyamory example, why are there 10 articles about it in one year in the New York Times if they're not trying to destroy traditional marriage? Why are they pushing it? I understand that an individuals might be single parents, and I will support and cheer for my friends. But I see it as a fight against misinformation, disinformation, to say that marriage is best. If those voices didn't exist, if we didn't have a slew of content pushing the idea that marriage is this outdated idea for suckers, I wouldn't focus on it. But there is, so I do. I also learned in the last year, while I toured for my book, I kept having people come up to me and say things like, I don't speak to my child anymore, or my kids grew up and they don't talk to me anymore because over politics or over COVID regulations or that kind of thing. It's really sad to me. But beyond that, I always ask them, and actually side note to this, Bill Ackman, who's become this big activist, the other day posted about the fact that his daughter went to Harvard and came back a Marxist. And I really would love to know, like, did you talk about your values at home? It's not so much that I'm pushing these ideas on people now. It's that I'm trying to lay down the foundation for the future. So when I'm telling my kids at home, I hope you get married, I've seen data that says that that's not what other people are telling to their kids. And I'm saying you should. So I don't want people to think of this as I'm judging anybody's life. I'm not. I understand the way things go and I understand that things don't always work out like you want them to. 
but we have to think about the future and about the way that we're raising the next generation. And to me, that's why you need to keep showing this evidence for marriage. And you need to bring back the idea that marriage is the best path. We've gone so far off of it. And that's really what the problem is to me. Coming up next, an interview with Monica Crowley. Join us after the break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome back to the Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. My guest today is Monica Crowley. Monica is a prominent news analyst, former assistant secretary of the Treasury in the Trump administration, and host of the excellent Monica Crowley podcast. Hi, Monica. Oh, thank you so much for having me today and for that fantastic introduction. (laughs) How nice to have you on. So I've known you, obviously, I've known about you for a very long time. You were always in the public eye and you and I only met for the first time last year. You invited me to lunch. You were so sweet. Um, And on that in that lunch, I learned that you had written a letter to Richard Nixon and ended up becoming his research assistant. Is that right? Foreign policy assistant, oh, but yeah, policy there's policy. a lot of research for him too. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And then you ended up writing two books about the man, right? 
Yeah. So, so what that, I remember thinking during that lunch, like, I don't know enough about Richard Nixon. He is sort of a blank. I, I know the big stories, right? But what do people not know about Nixon? Well, thank you for the question, Carol, because it is my favorite topic. <laughs> because he doesn't get enough attention. And when he does get attention, it's almost always negative. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of love, certainly from academia or the imperial media, which is his phrase. By the way, I, I have been talking about this now on my podcast. The Nixon Foundation just put out an old clip of President Nixon from, I think, the 1980s, where he was talking about how, you know, the criticism of what used to be called the imperial presidency, the left would attack Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan, any Republican president as an mm -hmm. imperial presidency, right? And his point was so brilliant. He said, you know, the presidency has a lot of checks and balances on it. Congress can check the president. Supreme Court can check the president. The press, the people can check the president. So there are a lot of limitations on the American president, but there are no limitations on the media. So he said, I'm going to refer to the to the media as the imperial media. So I am now using that phrase everywhere. And I have you too. I like that. Yeah. He certainly doesn't get enough uh, positive attention for who he was and what he accomplished throughout his entire political life and career. And I feel very blessed that I was able to work with him during the last couple of years of his life as a foreign policy assistant and really get to know the man. You know, there are all human beings behind the character of, of a president. And I can tell you that Richard Nixon was brilliant, which even his detractors will concede reluctantly, but they will mm -hmm. concede he's brilliant. He was a true intellectual in the sense that he loved ideas and battling ideas and developing new ideas and bouncing ideas off of people he respected, including Democrats. This was a different right. era, but he was very close to Democrat Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan of New York, very close to Mario Cuomo, the Democrat governor of New York, and they would swap books. They would send each other books that they've read all underlined and dog-eared. And then when the other one read it, they'd call each other and spend hours on the phone just talking about the book and the ideas that were in there. So he was brilliant. He was an intellectual, but he was also very kind and generous and funny, an extraordinary sense of humor. And, you know, because the imperial media uh, did not want people to know that side of him. They blocked a lot of that, right? And turned Richard Nixon into a villain, um, particularly after Watergate. But as we now know, with more evidence coming out and what we now know about the deep state and what the deep state is capable of, there's growing evidence that, in fact, the deep state framed President Nixon mm. with and um, removed him because he could not be controlled. And, you know, there's so much more to get into on that question, but I want people to know that Richard Nixon wasn't just a great man and a great president, but he was also a very good man. Is there a third Nixon book potentially forthcoming? That sounds interesting. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, because, you know, now we, we have all of this knowledge that there re actually is a deep state. It's very powerful. It's this shadowy cabal of unelected, unaccountable people who move between the security state and law enforcement, DOJ, FBI, CIA. 
um, and also globally as well with the globalist dimension to this. And I think more and more people, Carol, are coming to understand that the actual power in this country is not in the White House, regardless of who is the president, or on Capitol Hill, or at the Supreme Court, or in governor's mansions, but it's actually with this shadowy uh, deep state that really exercises power and has a lot of our elected representatives compromise or blackmailable or extortable and has like a gun to their head to do the deep state and globalist bidding. I think a lot of people are coming to understand that many of our representatives are actually not representing us at all and are taking this country off a cliff. I think Richard Nixon was one of the first to understand that and look at what they did to him, right? So maybe there is a third book in there. <laughs> uh, I'd love to read that. Um, so you mentioned that Nixon reached across the aisle and I'm not necessarily waiting for our politicians to do the same. I think we've become so polarized that I don't even want them necessarily to reach across the aisle a lot of the time because I think that the solutions they come up with when they do merge their interests are, are usually not good for any of us. But what about on like a, a more cultural or societal level? Like how do we get people to not be in their silos so much? Like how do we do the Nixon model, but like not for politicians? Yeah, I did. And, and it's a really hard one, Carol, because we are at this point in American society and life where politics has shot through everything. Yeah. Politics is everywhere. You can't watch an NFL game without politics in your face and kneeling athletes. And you can't watch, you know, the World Cup soccer match without soccer players. And it's in the culture. And Disney is preaching to us and our kids, you know, with this woke nonsense. Every time you want to take your kid to an animated Disney movie for a nice little escape, you can't escape, right? It is yeah. literal. Everywhere you go, it's right in your face. And so what's happened is that political values then have become your central set of values. It used to be like your values, your your core values were your faith, right? So your faith would become the organizing principle in your life. Um, you know, your belief in God or, or not, whatever it might be, Judaism, Catholicism, Christianity more generally, Islam, whatever it was. That was the organizing principle in your life. And then everything kind of followed from that. Well, now we've got a situation where for most people, politics is the organizing principle. It is sort of the core pillar and everything then flows from that. And then it's reinforced everywhere you look. Mm -hmm. The sports, media, you name it, it's everywhere right in your face. So to get people to transcend that is a very difficult thing because they have now internalized their political views, mm -hmm. who they are, and it becomes their identity. So you're asking people then to transcend their identity to try to come together with someone who thinks in a different way. That is a very tall task. It's not impossible, but I think it's, it's going to take leadership in a lot of different areas, not just politics, we focus a lot, obviously, for the reason I stated on that, but culturally, faith leaders, mm -hmm. it's gonna take a lot of people to, to regain their courage and be willing and able to speak out on these issues and try to bring 
of people together on things other than politics, where we might have some ground like, hey, I couldn't stand the Barbie movie. Oh, well, maybe maybe one of the neo-Marxists trying to destroy the country also hated the book. <laughs> they can actually have a conversation, but it's very difficult to do. And I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote from my personal life, Carol, because this was so devastating to me. One of my very, very dear friends over the last, you know, 30 years, somebody that I went to college with and was college roommate with and just absolutely adored her and she and I just got on like a house on fire for the last couple of of decades. Um, You know, she lives in Vermont. She works in social work. So I knew that she voted Democrat. It never mattered to me. It never mattered to me at all. And I had assumed all these years that it never mattered to her too. And I guess it didn't until Donald Trump came along Mm -hmm. and you know, I was one of his, if not his very first non-family public supporter, 48 hours after he came down the escalator. Um, and then, of course, spent two years in his administration in Washington, the Treasury Department. So, I mean, I really am a Trump loyalist, right? And I will tell you, earlier this year, you know, I reached out to her for a birthday and she texted back, thank you so much. And I said, let's have a phone call. Let's catch up. We haven't talked in like eight or nine months, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And she didn't respond right away. And I followed up and she didn't respond to that text. And I, I knew something was up. And finally, I got this long text from her. And she tried to be sweet about it, I'll guess. But she was like, she didn't want to break up with me as a friend. But it was really a, a kind of a harsh reality, which is, you know, she said to me, I have, I have two daughters and I'm very concerned about the world they're going to grow up in. And I wanted to scream, well, if you're that concerned, she needs to be voting for Trump. And the guy said he was destroying the country, but I didn't. But she said, you know, it, she got to the values question of what we were just talking about. Yeah. She's like, I can't really relate to what you value. And I was like, Dad. not Louis America. And yes, I have political stance that I value, of course, but I also value our friendship. Right. Yeah. And I I tried to soften it with my response. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth a little bit more. But it was so shocking to me because I hadn't experienced it, although we all know people who have. And I'm sure you have too. But, you know, trying to overcome that, first of all, with people that are, you know, just acquaintances to you or strangers or people that you just meet, that's one thing. Right. With lifelong friends. And some people have family members where they can't overcome it. It is a tall, tall order and it gets to the fundamental issue. Yeah. I think that's so just depressing to lose a really long time friend over politics. We're going to take a quick break and be right back on The Carol Markowitz Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is a values question, but a lot of things that make up friendships, especially when you're not close by, are things like things that make you laugh. Both, you know, you both laugh at the same things or, you know, you you have things in common other than um, where you stand on various political issues. And I, I just find that so sad. The funny thing is I lost the majority of friends that I was going to lose during the George W. Bush administration. <laughs> so, you know, I, I it was a, it was cut off early on and I think it would have only gotten worse from there anyway. But it was just um that time period was sort of the calling in my life. Uh, so like right now, a lot of Jews, for example, are saying that a lot of, you know, they're they're having to cut off anti-Israel friends and et cetera. I don't have any of that anymore. I think I, all the people that I lost, like in the, you know, 2001 to 2005 are would have been in that category. And I, I didn't even have them to lose this time around. But it is sad. And I think that it is a bad sign for our country when lifelong friends can't stay friends over politics. Um, it's just, it's depressing to me. But one thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about is I've had a lot of, you know, famous people on this, on the show, but I think you are one of the more like recognizable ones. Um, so for a lot of the other guests, I say to them, like, do you get recognized in the street? But I know you get recognized in the street. Like you're Monica Crowley, you get recognized. Is it hard to make friends being like at your level of famous? Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Um, and thank you. And I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, there's like 
Madonna level of fame, Donald Trump level. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. And me, Carol. <laughs> so, I won't put a tell us. Sure, you and me are in the same category, but thank you. <laughs> well, it's true. No, it, it's true. And uh, particularly because of what we do, right? We're speaking on a current event. So it makes us controversial. If we're not, it's not like Taylor Swift who's putting out great music that everybody can enjoy. It's mm-hmm. you know, you're staking a real claim um and right. with a real point of view. And so it's of course it's gonna alienate maybe half the country. Um, I will say it's funny you're saying get recognized. I would qualify that, Carol, by saying it depends where I am in the country. So when I'm in New York City, I could literally streak naked down Fifth Avenue <laughs> and they won. Yes. What does me? No I, one even bat an eye. They'd just be like, who's that crazy person running down to attack me nude? Um, but when I'm in Florida or Texas or a more conservative state, then yeah, you know, sometimes I, I do get recognized. And it's always lovely because generally people are so nice and they just want to picture, say hello, or to say thank you for being our voice you know, on Fox News, Fox Business, your podcast, you know, Monica, your columns, whatever you're doing uh, in terms of representing us and how we think. Thank you for that. And that always means the last week. So I always take the time, no matter where I am, to take every picture, to talk to every person, to really look at them in the eye and make sure that they are seen, at least by me, you know, that they are seen. Because you know what, Carol, in the end, most people just want to be heard and yeah. they just want to be seen as human beings. This is one of the huge keys of Donald Trump that I don't think anybody else recognized. In 2016, when he was first running, he looked at the forgotten men and women in this country, and he said, I see you, I hear you, and I will be your champion. Do you know how powerful emotionally that argument is? I extraordinarily powerful because those Americans just have felt invisible by their elected leaders on both sides of the aisle for decades. And here comes a guy who had never done any of this before who said, no, 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 I hear you and I see you and I'm going to stand up for you. And then he did. So that kind of emotional bond with the voters, not political, not intellectual, emotional, based again on values, but also in treating people as human beings is extraordinary. And I know the power of that as well, because I want to be seen and heard, which is why I work on TV. And right. Yeah, I'll do it. And I make sure that when anybody approaches me, I've only had one, in the course of my career, I've only had one crazy left winger approach me in a nasty way on the street in New York, of course. Right. This was years ago, I think during the George W. Bush years. And he came out of happy about the Iraq war and calling me a fascist. Mm-hmm. And I just laughed and walked away. But really, so I'm very lucky in my career. Do you feel like you've made it? That is such a great question, Carol. <laughs> and I ask all of your guests that. And I really appreciate your question. And I've been thinking on it because I think it's like a deceptively simple question. I think it's that's there's a lot of dynamism built into that question. I think... You know, when you say make make it, there's so many different avenues to that, right? Make it personally in your personal life. Are you happy in your personal life? Um, professionally, do you feel like you have succeeded with your professional goals? And I can say yes to both of those questions. But I also feel like there's so much more work 
that to do um, on behalf of my country and where I've poured my passion over the course of my career. There's so much more to do. I mean, if you had asked me a couple of years ago, would you go into the federal government? I would be like, oh, hell no. I'd rather eat my then move to the swap and and you know work in the federal government and then along came Donald Trump and I said I absolutely want to serve my country in an administration with a president that I really believe in so if he is reelected or I should say when he is reelected I will absolutely go back and serve out his administration his policy agenda serve my country bring this country back absolutely not even not even a, a moment hesitation on that. So I think life takes you in different directions, yeah. and there's so much more I think to to achieve. Um, but as of now, yeah, I'm pretty content. I mean, I, Carol, I have been so blessed in that I have worked for two American presidents now, mm-hmm. Richard Nixon in the last years of his life, and President Trump at the Treasury Department. That's pretty extraordinary. Not many presidents served two American presidents. Yeah. That's, I mean, incredible. And I think that you should be very proud of yourself and you should feel like you've made it because that seems, you know, like, like making it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Very blessed. One of the other questions that I ask all of my guests, and we've touched on some of the issues already, but what would you say is our largest cultural or societal problem, not specifically political necessarily? And is it solvable? Um. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this. Um, I have been studying and talking about communism throughout my entire career. And I've been studying it both as a political force and as a philosophical and, and ideological force. What has occurred to me over the years is that what the United States has been subjected to now for almost a century is a neo Marxist revolution. And that neo-Marxist revolution has its tentacles in every area of American society and life. So this is not just strictly political, although there are a lot of neo-Marxists in our government. Some will tell you straight up, like AOC or Bernie Sanders, they'll say, hey man, I'm a democratic socialist, which is a euphemism for Marxism. Um, Others are more stealthy about it. So there's political Marxism and we see it every day. But there's also economic Marxism, and there's also social and cultural Marxism, cultural revolution. You and you've written about this extensively on my show, talking about this. You and I, we just we we went like a ball on fire. This <laughs> because you really get it. To me, it is that the fact now that this Marxist revolution has been going on in this country, undermining all of the major pillars of American society and life for almost a hundred years. It really began as a KGB operation in the 1930s, and then it took on a life of its own with plenty of useful idiots here in the United States, infiltrating all of our institutions, what the Marxists called the long march through our institutions. The so weakened them and corroded American society and life, that things that we once thought were unthinkable are now like everybody just shrugs. For example, Drag Queen Story Hour for kindergartners is Marxist cultural revolutionary behavior in order to indoctrinate the child, 
create a standing army of children who have been indoctrinated, smash the nuclear family. This is all Marxism. This is all communism. So when you ask me about like a cultural or social issue, it is so widespread. It all gets down to the fact that we've allowed this Marxism to rampage through this country for decades to the point now where we are at the tipping point in America. And what worries me so much is that there are so many people in this country who don't know history, who don't know American history, or don't care about American history, and don't cherish it because they have been subjected to this indoctrination. And so if you don't know what makes America exceptional, you're not willing to stand up and fight for American exceptionalism and fight for this country like you and I do every single day with the platforms that we have, right? And when I look at subsequent generations who don't have that education, who don't have those political values that we talked about, about cherishing basic freedoms that we see in the Bill of Rights, and who are now actively at war with those freedoms in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution to tear this country down, that to me is the biggest problem that we have. And this is stuff that keeps me up at night. Um, Do you think anything could be done to solve this? Is this like just the end of the road for us? Well, I, I am an optimism. optimism. <laughs> no, I'm a natural optimist. I'm a happy warrior. So there's always hope. That's mm-hmm. true. But the hour is very late. The country is hanging by a thread. People who are just now waking up, I'm, I'm glad that they're waking up. But they seem to be under the assumption that somehow this started under Joe Biden with his catastrophic presidency or maybe even Barack Obama. And they're tracing it back to that. This goes so far back and has been going on so long, which is why we're so close to the precipice here. People need to really understand that. So in order to turn this around, it's going to take real leadership, political, social, cultural, faith-based of people really waking up to the threat. And it might take, I mean, we are scraping the bottom of the barrel here. And sometimes, you know, God allows you as individuals or countries to really hit rock bottom. So more and more people wake up and say, hey, wait, you know, we're losing our country. I think that's happening now. I don't think it's too late to turn this around, but it is going to require very courageous leadership because the left now controls everything, every lever lever of power. And they've been at it for so long that we are going to have to be very brave We're going to have to all be leaders in our own communities on this with whatever platform we we might have. And we also have to understand it's going to take a very long time to turn it around because, again, this didn't materialize overnight. So the solution is not going to materialize overnight either. Wow. Well, everything is bad, uh, but hopefully it can turn around. Um, I love talking to you and here, Monica, with your best tip for my listeners on how they can improve their individual lives, you know, especially in the face of how how terrible things are all over the place. Yeah, uh, I know things look grim, um, but my natural optimism is going to kick in here. Um, I think a couple of, of tips of advice to improve your own personal life and, you know, the life of your family, the life of your community, the life of your country. Um, My first word of advice is, first of all, I'm going to pass along the best piece of advice I ever got, which came from President Nixon, 
because I was all set to go to law school. I was just going to work for him for one year, and I put off the Villanova Law uh, to work for him for the year, and then I was going to matriculate into law school. And a couple of months in, President Nixon said to me, call me in, Carol, and he took my gla- his glasses off, and he said, Monica, have a seat. We have something very important to talk about. And I said, yes, Mr. President, what is it? And he said, well, you're not going to law school. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm, I'm a Virgo with a five-year plan at all times, Carol. So I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and he said, Monica, it's clear to me that you have no passion for the law and you're going just to law school just to go and have an advanced degree. He said, if you feel like you need an advanced degree, you need to go and follow your passion. So go to graduate school and study security and American foreign policy instead. Don't worry about the career path. Don't worry about the money with a career. All of that will come when you follow your passion. And so he was exactly right. I stopped the Villanova Law School process and I bladed at Columbia in a PhD terminal program, got two master's degrees and a PhD in now security foreign policy. Could not be happier. And the whole career, he was exactly right. It all fell into place. So I am sharing his wisdom with me, with you and your listeners. Don't go to law school. <laughs> he goes, Monica, I'm a lawyer. The country has enough lawyers. We don't need another one who has no passion for the law. So go and do what your passion is and everything else will fall in place. The other final point that I just want to impart here to everybody listening is because this is a spiritual battle at base, this is God versus the enemy, good versus evil, however you want to cast it. Once you see it in those terms, you can't unsee it. So I would just recommend, I don't know what everybody's faith-based system is, or maybe you don't believe in God, that's your business. But I would recommend getting your spiritual house in order. That's we are in some dark times. I fear it might get worse before it gets better. And I would just recommend to everybody to to kind of get your spiritual house in order for yourself and your family. Can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly it. Can't go wrong. Thank you so much for coming on, Monica. I've loved talking to you. She's Monica Crowley. Please check out her podcast. She is terrific. Thank you so much, Carol. My pleasure. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us on The Carol Markowitz Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.